And tonight I want to show man's responsibility to his own sins and also his own repentance as we find it in Ezekiel chapter 18. How many people today still try to cast their sins on the backs of another? You think about how many times you hear people talk about Adam and Eve, one of the things that so many people today, especially those in the denominational world, would tell you is that they believe that man inherits the sin of Adam and Eve, which is still a common false teaching that exists today. But think about this for a moment. Does God condemn the innocent? Does man carry the sins of others? In Ezekiel chapter 18, this deals with exactly that, with exactly those questions. In Ezekiel chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, we have first, we have a, a false proverb, as was mentioned in, in many uh, Bible translations. You'll have a heading there, but regards to the heading there, it's not. There is a false proverb that is discussed here in the first few verses of Ezekiel chapter 18. And so we'll be looking at a proverb that's reputed, and then also a person where else how the person's responsibility is taught. We begin by looking at this false proverb, looking at verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Saying, The fathers of eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. The proverb that was once used, or once that was taught, was that the innocent were condemned with the wicked, as you find there in verses 1 and 2. The fathers of eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. The idea that the Fathers are paying the price for their sins, and the children's teeth are set on the edge. The idea being they expect to be punished with them as well. So we continue reading, though, we look at verses 3 and 4, we see that God says, I will no longer use such a proverb, but instead will understand that the wicked is the one who is condemned for their sins and no one else. Looking at verses 3 and 4, he says, As I live, says the Lord, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. He says in verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins shall die. And so we find that very clearly starting off in those first four verses, the Lord gets very much to the point about what he's going to be talking about. And the point is very clear. He says, The soul who sins shall die. Well, that phrase alone tells us that the idea that man inherits the sin of Adam and Eve or the sin of Adam is completely in contradiction to what the Father just said there in verse 4. We find in verse 5 and following following, that man is responsible for his own actions. We cannot allow someone else to carry our sins for us, neither can they even they desire to do so. We find in verses 5 through 9, the end of the righteous man is mentioned here, beginning in verse 5. He says, But the man is just, again, this is right off, right after we just said in verse 4, the soul of sin shall die. But the man is just and does what is lawful and right. Now, there is a condition that's stated there, right? If a man does what is lawful and right, he's not talking about the man obeys the law of the land. He's talking about the man obeys God's word, thereby doing what is lawful and right. He says, if he has not eaten on the mountain, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, nor approached a woman during her impurity, if he has not oppressed anyone, but he has restored the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry, and covered the naked with clothing. This again, all things 
We find they're just a rough center of things he should not be doing and certain things he should be doing in order to be one who falls with lawful and right. He goes on to say in verse 8, if he has not exacted usury or interest or taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity, that is from sin, and executed true judgment between man, between man and man, if he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. Now we know during those, those four verses there, verses 5 through 9 there, how God defines what is, who is the one who does what is lawful and right. You know, if you back up in verse 5, he says, the man is just and does what is lawful and right. And then in verses 6 through, through all the way through part of verse 9, he defines what it means to do what is lawful and right. And he gives examples of it. Following God's commands. And he also includes there in verse 8 that he had withdrawn his hand from iniquity, that is staying away from sin. He says in verse 9, he has watched my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully. He is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. And it is God who pronounces this judgment. Now there are those days who say, well, now wait a second, what if what did he do this? If he did do this? We find in verse 9, God leaves no room for trying to add in things or to withdraw certain things. He simply says that those who have done such things, who have kept his law, who have been faithful in all his judgments, he says point blank there in verse 9, he is just. He shall surely live. We recognize that he is a reference to all mankind, not just males, obviously, but all mankind. He says he shall surely live, says the Lord God. Only God can make such a statement. Only God can make that type of judgment. It's all there in verse 9. I say that when he does these things and keeps his judgment faithfully, he is just. Only God can make that determination. There are those they want to determine what is, what is a just person. When we hear things like, well, they have a good heart, you know, sir, that's not mentioned in verses 5 through 9, is it? It's not mentioned about a person being kind and respectful. That's not mentioned because for some people today, that's what you have to do is just be kind and respectful. God doesn't say anything about that, does he? Is he fully included within his judgments? Absolutely. But he gets more to the point here in verses 5 through 9. He says here, he's one who keeps his judgments faithfully. He is just. That's the judgment that God makes. He shall surely live. That's the second judgment that God makes. Based upon the fact that he has kept his judgment faithfully there in verse 9. That's the end of the righteous man. But if you notice here in verses 10 and following, he begins to use the illustration of a father and a son. And no doubt, every father wants to provide, every parent wants to provide protection for their children when it's, whenever it is possible. But in verses 10 and following, we find an occasion where no protection can be given. In verse 10, the Bible says, If you begin to stun with a robber, through a shedder of blood, who does, who does any of these things, who does not have those duties, but eat on the mountains, and defile his neighbor's life, be as a friend of the poor and, and needy, robbed by bonds, not restored the flesh, lifted up his eyes to idols, or committed abomination, if he has exacted usury or interest or taken increase, shall he, shall he then live? Thus there he puts it as a question, right? If this man does the complete opposite, shall he surely live? Spiritually in the eyes of God, 
He says in verse 13, he shall not live. If he has done any of these abominations, which are those things which are morally disgusting in the eyes of God, he says he shall surely die. His blood, I notice, shall be upon him in verses 10 through 13. And so he, he paints the picture very clearly. Verses 5 through 9, the righteous man did all these things, he shall surely live. The wicked man has done none of these things. And then in verse 13, he asks the question, shall he then live? Well, we saw him back in verse 9, the Bible clearly teaches us, no, he shall not truly live. And that's exactly what, Christ, or what God says here in verse 13, when he says he shall not live. If he has done and notice any of these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon who? Upon him. No one else can bear the price for his burdens, for his sins. If we continue reading, though, notice what else he said here, beginning in verse 14. He says, if, and notice there's that condition, if, however, he begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers, but does not do likewise. You know, some patterns are meant to be broken. Some traditions are meant to come to an end. Some ways of doing things are meant to, to be cast aside because of the results of them. And that's a fine example of there in verse 14. If ever he begins a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers, which means he sees what has been done before him, he considers it, he thinks about it, and he does what? He does not do likewise. Who has not eaten on the mountain nor lifted his eyes to the idol of the house of Israel. Again, life of the father before him, right? Nor defiled his neighbor's wife, has not oppressed anyone, nor withheld a pledge, nor robbed I thought, but has given his bread to hungry and covered the neck with clothing, who has withdrawn his hand from the poor and not received usury or increase, but has executed my judgments and walked in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity, of his father. You'll notice there in verses uh, 15 through again, verse 16, the same ideas are put forth as were put forth previously. In verses 5 through 9, the same examples were given. In verses 10 through 13, the same examples were given. And here now, verses 15 to 16, the same examples were given. It means their actions did not change, right? They all were given the same opportunities to choose in all these situations. We find here in verse 17, instead of doing these things, it says, but has executed my judgment, which shows a stark contrast, right? He has not done these things, but has followed my judgment and walked in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity or for the sin of his father. He shall surely live. Why is that? Well, let's back to the beginning of verse 14. What does he say? He considers his father's ways and did not do likewise, right? He stopped the pattern of disobedience. He stopped the pattern of sin and rebellion against God. He says in verse 17, As a result, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. He says, As for his father, because he has cruelly oppressed, robbed his brother by violence, and he summarizes here by saying, and did what was not good among his people, Behold, he shall die for his iniquity. 
sins, for the Son will not die for the sins of his Father. Friends, there is no way we can bear the sins of those who have gone before us, including Adam or Eve or anyone else. We bear our own blows. Let's look now at verse 19. He says, Yet you say, Why should the Son not bear the guilt of the Father? Because the Son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. Mankind cannot bear the sins of anyone else. The only one who can ever bear the sins of someone else is Christ. I mean, who he did so on the cross. But again, we can only take advantage of that by obeying the gospel. Verse 20 tells us, The soul who sins shall die. Again, now he's summarizing the again, again, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. Now notice the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. We carry our own sins. Therefore, it's up to us to make sure we make ourselves right inside of God by obeying the gospel so we can repent of our sins, so not to carry those sins around anymore. Instead, they are left, they are left behind when we are immersed in the watery grave of baptism, having our sins remitted. And as Christians, we do make mistakes, we can repent of those things and not carry those things around with us. So again, verse 20 tells us the righteousness, the righteous should lay upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked should be upon himself. We cannot carry the sins of others around for them. But Ezekiel 18, that's not all he talks about here, because he goes on further to, to remind us that man has free will, man has a choice. So not only is man not, is man not able to carry the sins of others, or even we want to do so, you know, there are some days he will tell their children, oh, you're fine, you're okay, thinking that their opinion is going to save those who have been who have disobeyed. We cannot carry the sins of those of anyone else. We look at verse 21 and following, we find that mankind reminded that we have a free will, we have a choice. Beginning in verse 21, the Bible tells us that man has choices. Look at verse 21 through 23, the Bible says, But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. That tells us that man doesn't have to remain wicked. If we have chosen, chosen the wrong path, we can come out of that wrong path. That's why he tells us there in verse 21 that even a wicked man can turn from all his sins which he has committed. They can keep his statutes and do what is right and lawful. He shall surely live, he shall not die if he turns from those ways. Verse 22 says, None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done. He shall, he shall live. The righteousness that he has done is not some new long list of good and wholesome acts that righteous, righteousness which he has done is turning from sin and putting his obedient faith in God. Becoming a follower of God is that righteous, righteous thing which he is doing and continuing to be, to be that, that follower of God. There's no one righteous deed, nor is there a list of never things we can do that will allow us to have heaven as our home. 
So that righteousness which he has done, logically speaking, is obeying God and his commandments. As we find there in verse 21, keeping his statutes and doing what is lawful and right. And the person who does that, he says, shall live, he shall not die. Verse 23 tells us here, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, said the Lord, said the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? We are reminded that God takes no pleasure in the wicked perishing. He takes no pleasure in the wicked dying in their sin. Do you think God enjoyed the flood? I don't think he enjoyed any of that. Do you think God enjoyed watching Sodom and Gomorrah burn? No. Do you think he enjoyed watching his people crossing the Red Sea and seeing the, the, the leader in his wicked the wicked leader is talking behind him being crushed? No, because they were in sin. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. As we find in verse 23, he says, and he says, he asked, he put this as a rhetorical question, do you have any pleasure at all that the wicked should, should die from the Lord God? And now that he should turn from his ways and live, he takes no pleasure in that. As we look at verse 24, we find that a righteous man can choose also. He can choose to change his path, but in doing so, he can lose his own soul. Verse 24 says, But when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? That's the rhetorical question. No, he will not live. All the righteousness which he has done, and others shall not be remembered. He's saying, when you turn away from God and go back into the world, it doesn't matter what you did while you were a Christian, none of that matters anymore because you're not part of God's family, right? And so just like we saw in verse 23, uh, verse 23, rather, that the sins of the wicked shall be forgotten when they, when they obey God, so shall the good things which the righteous have done will be forgotten when they walk away from God. People like sometimes think about say, when we think about those who bear from the faith, and we say sometimes, well, they they obeyed the gospel years ago. Why they continue to obey it? You know, obeying the gospel is not a one-time action; it's a continual act. Revelation two verse ten tells tells us that, and tells us there be faith on the death, now give you the crown of life. That is a continual action. Look at verse twenty-four. He says, "All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness which he is guilty." of which he is guilty, and the sin which he has committed, because of them, he shall die. So the answer is, we must come to God in complete obedience. And when we make a mistake, when we sin, we confess those things to God. God's way by some has a result of these things. Let's think about this for just a moment before we go any further. We find in verses 1 through 24 some very logical things, right? The wicked shall not perish, or shall not live. The righteous shall not perish. The wicked cannot cannot uh, have their sins carried by some righteous person. We must we have to carry our own sins. If we have sin in our life, we must handle it. Logical things. Yet verse twenty-five, notice what God has to deal with. God's way is called unfair by some. Beginning in verse twenty-five. The Bible says there, yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. That's the first part of verse 25. Many will complain and say, well, that's not right. The wicked, they are that wicked. They haven't done anything others haven't done before them. They have a good heart. They're respectful. They're kind. I've known them for a long time. This was on and on. 
And so by doing so, they're saying the way the Lord is not fair. Look at the latter part of verse 25. Hear now, O house of Israel, it's not my way which is fair in your ways, plural, which are not fair. You know, there's a difference. God's way is mentioned in a singular. Man's way is mentioned in a plural. Why is that? Because God only has one way, right? There's only one way to go to heaven, that's God's way. God hasn't made multiple plans of salvation. He made one. God hasn't made multiple paths to heaven. He's made one. That's why he says, oh, of Israel, it's not my way, singular, which is fair in your ways, plural, which are not fair. Man's ways are not fair. They're not just. They're not right. Looking at verse 26, we find it's not only fair that the person who departs from God be condemned. It's also logical. Looking at verse 26, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in, it is because of the iniquity which he has done. What is God saying in verse 26? He's not just repeating himself. He's saying the reason people die in their sins is because they're living in sin. If someone comes out of sin, they won't have to worry about dying in sin. When a person dies in sin, it's their own fault. He said, it's because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed, and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. He saves his own soul and what is lawful and right. God's way is indeed fair. Verse 28 says, because he considers, there's that word again, right? We saw that earlier on with the man who considered the way of his father, and he chose not to do likewise, right? Verse 28 says, Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. He's talking about repentance, isn't he? He says here, He turns away from all the transgressions which he has committed. That is repentance. You're going down a path of sin, you're going to turn away from them. He says, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Verse 29 says, the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. Oh, house of Israel is not my ways, it's not my ways which are fair, your ways which are not fair. What are God's ways being mentioned here in the plural lot? Why is that being mentioned? He's talking about the righteous turning, turning away from righteousness and going to sin, and the wicked turning away from their sin and going back to righteousness, right? The ways that man is describing, the ways in which man has chosen, and how they can come back to him by repentance. God's ways involve repentance, obedience, and faithful obedience. We'll look here now in verse 30, we find here a call for repentance. As you think about man not carrying his own load, man uh, not being able to cast his sin upon others. Man having to bear his own burden. Man having free will. God's way being called, being called unfair by some. If I'm chapter comes to a close in verse 30 and Paul in the Bible says here, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his way, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Some might say, some translations might say, be your downfall. That's the same idea, right? It is God who speaks and says, I will judge you, not man, God. I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from, from all your transgressions. 
iniquity or sin will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? You think about that last verse there, verse 31, or verse 31 of the last one. Think about that phrase, get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Change who you are, right? You know, the heart and spirit is many times looked at as something that's on the inside, right? If we change what's on the inside, it's going to be shown on the outside. In order to change from the outside, we must change our inside. We must change our heart. We must change our spirit. We must change our attitude, our whole demeanor. And that's what he's talking about here in verse 31. Get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. But then you ask that rhetorical question, for why should you die? He said you don't have to die. You don't have to die in your sin. It is an avoidable thing. Hell does not have to be everyone's final destination. It can be avoided. And that's what God is saying in verse 31. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Verse 32. God reminds him he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He says, and now for the second time, for I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says Lord God, therefore turn and live. We think about all the things that God has said there chapter 18, and how his ways can be called unfair, and yet all God wants him to do, as we find in verse 32, is turn, that is repent, and live the result of repentance. Some lessons for us today, man's sin, man's sin problem is his own. No one can solve our sin problems except for us, we can solve it today, by obedience to the gospel. Man cannot cast his sin on the back of another. Adam, as we know, tried to blame his fear on Eve and even on God. Back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 12, it didn't work then, and it doesn't work today. Genesis 3 verse 12, he says, The woman who you gave to me, gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. He puts his blame on God and on Eve. It didn't work, though, did it? No, he too was still cast out of Garden of Eden. Man is not destined to fail or succeed. There are those who will tell you that when you are born, you are born in your Savior lost, that God's already predetermined to your destination. That is not found anywhere in the Scriptures. What is found is that God has told us time and time again, those who are predestined to have heaven as their home are those who obey the gospel. That is the predestination we read. We have a free read out in the Bible. He has already predetermined those who obey Him, and continue to do so, yes, they have heaven as their home. And those who do not, we are determined those individuals are not going to have heaven as their home. That's the predetermination to read about in the Bible, nothing else. So we find we're uh, talking about man being destined from one place or another. Man will either be saved from his sinful state or condemned in his sinful state. There is nothing, there is no other way around it. The choice there is man's choice, God made salvation possible, the man must act. Going back to Ezekiel 18, beginning verse 26. What must man do? How must man act? He tells us in verse 26. And a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and dies in. It is because of iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, verse 27. When a wicked man turns from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns from all the transgressions which, which he committed 
interesting that God doesn't say he doesn't just say he shall surely live. He says he shall surely live, he shall not die. To make it very clear, he will not die because what? He considers his ways and he turns from all his transgressions. Paul reminds those in Philippi of the same thing. When he tells them in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed my presence only, but now much more my ashes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which means it's up to you as individuals to make sure you obey the gospel and you are right inside of God. No one else can make you do what is right, and no one else can make you get to heaven or make you miss heaven. It is our own decision. Throughout the Bible, man is given opportunities to choose obedience or sin. Throughout the Bible, Adam and Eve, the very beginning, you think sometimes we thought, they think, how could you give up what they had just because you wanted to go to a certain tree that God forbid you to touch? They were all they gave up, a place where all they had to do was just tend the garden, and they couldn't maintain that. In Ezekiel 18, we are reminded of this again. Let us choose life by repenting of our sins and not trying to cast them off on another or just to cast them off in general. We'll close with this verse, Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. Here the Bible says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you may, that choose life that you said, both you and your descendants may live. That life is choosing righteousness, godliness over sin, and disobedience. As you look at Ezekiel 18, that's what God wants us to remember. Man has free will. We cannot cast our sins upon others. We can't allow someone else to carry a load for us. We have to make sure that we ourselves are right before God. No one else can do that for us.